Friends of Eileen, I hope you realize that this is not going to be easy. But please bear with me. In mid-December 2016, Jim Kenny took to the altar to deliver a eulogy to his dead wife, Eileen. Forgive me, my voice is not up to scratch. Eileen had battled hard against cancer. She was pretty, smart, kind, loving and compassionate. She was devoted to her family, especially her special needs daughter, with whom she had great empathy. For those of you who are close to us, you will know that Eileen put up a good fight, but it wasn't a fair one. Unfortunately, some serious issues were uncovered regarding the treatment of her cancer at that time, which caused considerable distress to Eileen and my family. Over two years on from Eileen's funeral, unanswered questions mean her family are yet to grieve properly. Involved in a long struggle against her oncologist and the Irish Medical Council, it's a battle they feel they're still fighting. Because it's sickening what happened to my mom, and I'm totally traumatized by it. Eileen showed great courage and bravery in facing her illness. I will never understand how she came to terms with what happened to her. Earlier this year, Brian O'Connell met with Jim Kenny at his home in South Dublin. Brian. Jim. How are you doing? How are things? To record his story and that of his late wife, Eileen. So we last step in, is that okay? That's all right. day. Cheers. I would have met Eileen in 1976, towards the end of 1976. We were in um, a local establishment in Mullingar with my best friend. She had long, wavy, fair hair and a beautiful smile. Jim and Eileen got married in September 1982. And in 1984 with her first child, Nicola. That was exciting. Eileen gave up work then at that point. They had two children, Nicola and Louise. After Nicola, our next daughter, Louise, was born in 1988. Both were perfectly healthy, until one day... Jim noticed something was amiss with Louise. We were on a holiday out in Spain and there was this start of the second week. Eileen had just gone back to the apartment briefly at around lunchtime. My other daughter, Nicola, was in the pool and Louise was just, she was actually just three and a half years old at the time. And we were very conscious of her. It was the first time we had brought her on a holiday. So she was lying on a sunbed with a towel over her. And I just noticed the wind had blown the towel from her head. I looked and she was unconscious. Three and a half, four years old, she was diagnosed with a brain tumour. I think that changed her life forever at that point. I only became her carer. Following numerous operations on her tumour, which caused multiple daily seizures, Louise would end up requiring full-time care. Eileen would provide that care. It wasn't nice to see your child lying on the floor. Usually, the first hour of the morning was the worst. She would 
more than likely have a seizure. Louise relied on her so much. Like, I would go out to work, but I was left to look after Louise every day. She didn't have a huge amount of free time because Louise was always... Um, she was always worried about Louise. Jackie Houston was a tennis partner of Eileen's and one of her closest friends. And I think that's how she got involved in the tennis and sort of that was her time out. Maybe we'd go and have a little bit of lunch, but she was always sort of on the clock to get back to Louise because somebody had to be there with Louise 24-7. She was constantly on call because Louise could fall. So she'd have to maybe run off whatever she was doing, drop whatever she was doing to make sure that to collect Louise from school or wherever she was. Eileen was very conscious of her own health and kept fit throughout her life. So it came as a total bolt from the blue when her own health issues first presented. In December 2007, Eileen wasn't feeling all that well, you know, at Christmas time. She had a temperature that wouldn't go away. After Christmas, she went to the doctor in January. So eventually he sent her for to do a scope and that indicated that there was a tumour in her stomach. Eileen was 52 years old and was diagnosed with a gastrointestinal stromal tumour, or GIST for short. This is a rare form of cancer often associated with the digestive tract, but it is often very treatable. The main treatment is usually surgery or growth inhibitors, and these can stop cancer cells from growing by blocking signals. Later, a tumour was removed and Eileen was referred to an oncologist. The outlook was positive. The surgery was successful, and Eileen went on a course of chemotherapy in a tablet form and this continued for one year. Yeah, she would uh, take this medication orally once a day. And she tolerated it very good. And Eileen got back to playing tennis and getting out of life, going on holidays. What we didn't know at the time is that the cancer should be monitored very closely because it was classified as high risk. But we did not know that at the time. Cancer is often classified into three categories. High, medium and low risk. Eileen and Jim later learned that Eileen's cancer fell into the high risk category, meaning it required regular scanning. By March 2009, Eileen had completed her treatment. Then she, when she completed the chemo, she got just on with her, on with her life. We felt that that was the end of it. She received scans in February 2009 and again in February 2010. But it's from this point on that Eileen and Jim had significant concerns about her subsequent treatment. There was a two-year gap left at a critical time when the cancer was most likely to recur. Between February 26, 2010 and February 15, 2012, almost two years, Eileen received no scans whatsoever. As I understand it, according to best practice, one year from the end of therapy and two years out from the end of your surgery, that was the most likely time the cancer was likely to recur. Dr. Ramesh Balusu is one of the world's foremost experts on GIST, the type of tumour that Eileen had. 
He co-authored the UK GIST National Guidelines on how the disease should be treated. He would later play a key role as Eileen's story unfolded. Dr Belusu explains what best practice was at the time. We would have scanned her on a regular basis, uh, meaning uh, after completing the tablet. So what we said in 2009 is that in the high-risk tumours, three monthly scans following the operations for two years, and then six monthly for two more years, and then once a year. It was high risk, um, high risk based on the tumour size and the mitosis, number of mitosis. It was in the stomach. The risk of relapse would have been about 55%. So that we consider the very high risk. That means one in two chance of the tumour coming back. Eileen's cancer was high risk, and as such, had up to a 50% chance of coming back. She had been seen a highly regarded Irish consultant oncologist with an excellent reputation and had no reason to believe she would receive anything other than the highest standards of care. But international expert Dr Ramesh Belusu subsequently stated that mistakes were made in Eileen's care during this crucial two-year period up to February 2012, when Eileen went almost two years without scans, despite the high risk of her cancer coming back. It was during this period, in late 2011, when Eileen woke up one morning with severe pains on her left side. I mean, these pains would appear every now and again, and a lot of the time she'd just take a sulfate. I think she may have thought it was playing tennis or something may be the cause of this. She didn't suspect that the cancer was the cause of it. Eileen was unaware that her cancer was high risk, had a 50% chance of coming back, or that she should have been receiving regular scans after her treatment. It was now October 2011, and Eileen was referred to A&E. They, in turn, referred her to a cardiologist, who found her heart to be healthy. Given her recent medical history, the cardiologist then wrote to the consultant oncologist treating Eileen's cancer, and suggested that a CT scan, scheduled for four months later, be brought forward immediately. But Eileen's scan date remained unchanged, and she had to wait another four months to the following year in February 2012, now almost two years to the day since her last scan. So she did the scan, as I said, on the 15th of February, and um, she didn't hear anything back for until she met her oncologist five weeks later. And obviously she concluded that there was no, nothing major with this scan if you was calling her in five weeks later. On March 22nd, 2012, Eileen met her treating oncologist to discuss the results of the routine CT scan she had had five weeks earlier. What was said at that consultation and what information was and wasn't given to Eileen would later be contested. Her treating oncologist's later report of that meeting is that he told Eileen her cancer had returned and that her case was also discussed at a multidisciplinary team meeting. It was Eileen's contention that aside from being told there was a little prominence where her surgery had been performed, at no stage at that meeting was she ever informed that her cancer had returned. Is there any chance, Jim, that Eileen was told that news and decided to keep it to herself? Absolutely not Eileen. She would be devastated. So in short, 
Eileen had no scan at all for two years before February 2012. After that scan, Eileen says she was not told about a recurrence of her cancer. It would be later that year before Eileen would finally hold the results of that February scan in her hand, and they would prove to be shocking. She had another scan in September 2012, and it was only after this that Eileen says she was first told that her cancer had returned. We'll come back to that, because for now, what's not disputed is that Eileen received no targeted treatment for a recurrence of her tumour during the time between these scans, a period of eight months. Jim recalls what Eileen told him after meeting with her oncologist following the September scan. Do you remember back in February when I told you that there was a, a little prominence in, your, in the area of your stitches? What he said is more prominent now. And as Eileen said to me, I just, she just sat there wondering and asked him, are you actually telling me that there could be a tumour there? And his words to that was, yes, there is a tumour there. She asked him, was it big? Well, he said, it's not this, the size that's the problem. It's where it's located. There would be a difficulty in getting at it. In a high court action Eileen would later take against her oncologist, one of her central arguments was that the delay in starting her treatment significantly impacted on her chances of recovery or survival. This was borne out by an expert witness report commissioned by her legal firm. Her treating oncologist would later say that targeted treatment didn't start because Eileen had not been complaining of symptoms and a later scope came back clear. However, evidence given by medics in the civil case agreed that the February CT scan clearly showed a recurrence. Remember, at this point, September 2012, Eileen claimed she still did not know the results of a February scan, and it would be some weeks yet before she did. During 2012, Eileen's health was deteriorating, but she said she still didn't know what was the cause of the pain. Her appetite had decreased. She had a constant feeling of nausea and had sleeping difficulties, and activities like playing tennis were curtailed significantly. After her September scan, Eileen's treatment was due to begin on October 19th. But in the days leading up to this, Eileen noticed a lump in the area of her ribs on the left side and went to a GP. Eileen's daughter, Nicola, remembers that day. We've just discovered that my mom has cancer. She can't get through to her oncologist to find out when her treatment is starting. Then <clears throat> my mom is sitting up in bed and she calls me in and it's like, Nick, can you feel there pointed to the left side of her rib cage? Um, and I felt there was a lump, like a grisly lump, the length of her, her rib cage. And I, instead of being like, oh, shocked or whatever, we just knew something was wrong. And she went, I think, to her GP that day. But I don't know, that was like a traumatizing time. When Eileen did attend her GP, he told her that her oncologist had sent him a letter five months earlier in May, stating that there was a possibility of a recurrence of her cancer. Eileen was shocked. 
she maintained she was told none of this by her treating oncologist. She decided to seek a second opinion, and her new oncologist would need her records, so she went to her treating hospital to pick them up. She sat in her car afterwards and opened the envelope which contained her file. She pulled out the results of the February scan, which had been conducted ten months before. She was to make a startling discovery. Her husband, Jim, returns to the spot where this happened. This is where Annie would come, here. And uh, this is where she came in early December um, to collect her medical records to facilitate the second opinion. So Annie would have just uh, parked here and walked uh, just a short distance across the road there to the hospital. So obviously, uh, when she came back to the car, she opened the envelope and she read um, the February CT scan. February CT scan, a lobulated heterogeneous soft tissue that measured up to 4.5 centimetres by 2.4 centimetres in transverse dimensions. The appearances are consistent with local recurrence of disease. The CT scan could not have been clearer. A portion of the tumour has invaded the diaphragm and extends into the left hemithorax. Eileen's cancer had returned by February 2012. Focal thickening of the left hemidiaphragm, which I suspect represents additional disease. As Eileen read the scan report in her car, she couldn't make sense of it all. She always maintained that the first she heard about her cancer returning was just weeks previously in early October. With several intrathoracic nodules as described. Eileen's treating oncologist would later claim that he had informed her in March. When she read that scan here on her own in the car, well, she was devastated. She was shocked. And she was traumatised by what she'd seen. I think anybody with any sense of um, the English language and read that report, it was um, quite detailed and it identified tumours and gave dimensions of them. It indicated where um, the cancer was spreading. And I don't have words... Um, uh, I can't describe how she felt. Um, I am guilty, in a way, that I wasn't here. I, I can't understand it. Uh, Brian, I'm sorry. Um, That was terrible for Eileen. A few hours after getting her file, Eileen phoned her close friend, Jackie. She rang me the day she got her medical notes and she was so upset. She was devastated. She was absolutely crushed because I think she knew then she was complete. She knew she was finished. She actually knew it. Yeah. The file also contained a copy of Eileen's most recent scan in September. It too paints a very clear picture. When she read the September scan, her situation was in a very bad way. And she could now understand why she was having pains in the area of her left ribs. Because all of the tumours, from my recollection, had increased and had now been, as outlined, invading in between the 8th, 9th, 10th, and I think the 11th ribs that was mentioned in it. The scans made it clear that Eileen's cancer had returned. Her daughter Nicola remembers this time. Just 
realizing that your mom has cancer and it's now protruding from her her rib cage. And I just think, God, that is so unfair for her to have gotten through that. I mean, even when my mom got her results herself and read them, I mean, we were shocked, but it was only after my dad compiled all the evidence and in chronological order that we were able to build a picture as to what happened. By December 7th, Eileen had transferred her care to a new oncologist. Well, Eileen was very angry and she was continually asking, why was this done to me? And I said, Eileen, we don't know, but we maybe perhaps we'll find out. Eileen could not understand why she didn't receive regular scanning, which may have detected the return of her cancer earlier, or why the results of her February 2012 scan weren't acted upon immediately. At this point, Eileen had decided to take a civil action against her treating oncologist. A solicitor from the practice who acted for Eileen outlines the case, Neil Kidd. We were contacted in around March 2013, and Jim and Eileen's main concerns at that stage, I suppose there were two main areas. One was a lack of adequate monitoring of Eileen following on from her initial treatment in 2008. And then secondly, a concern that after her CT scan in February 2012, which revealed the recurrence of her cancer, that there had been a delay in commencing appropriate treatment. So I guess from the outset, it you know it was very clear to us that it was a serious case. The recurrence of cancer and the prognosis obviously meant that it was a case that was going to be at the upper end of the seriousness of, of cases that would come into the office here. It was also very clear that there were significant questions to be investigated in relation to the care that Eileen had received and the concerns that she came to us with were very valid. It seemed from the outset to us that the likelihood of there being shortcomings in the care which Eileen received was was pretty high. All the indications were that the case would go to a full hearing at the High Court. But dramatically, at the 11th hour, and two years after Eileen first made contact with her legal team, there was a breakthrough when the consultant treating Eileen's cancer admitted he had made errors in his care of Eileen. Up until quite close to the trial date, liability continued to be denied in full. However, in the week before the trial, an admission was made that he ought to have arranged for Eileen to undergo a CT scan in 2011, which hadn't been done, and that he should have commenced her on treatment uh, following her February 2012 CT scan, and that that should have started no later than May 2012. However, the defendant continued to deny the extent or severity of the injuries which Eileen suffered as a result of those failings. So the causation issue is still very much an issue. So we had to establish still that the admitted negligence had an adverse impact on Eileen's survival and her her life expectancy. In the detail of the settlement was a significant financial payment, but also something much more important. The settlement included the payment of, uh, of damages to Eileen and also there was, as part of the settlement, an agreement that uh, there would be an apology given for any upset or injury which Eileen had suffered as a result of management of her illness. So that was you know, an important factor of, or an important component of the, of the settlement as well. 
It was the oncologist's apology that meant most to Eileen and her family. I actually have the apology here. Now, just one second. Um, I just quote from the apology. The first named defendant wishes to apologize to the plaintiff for any upset or injury she may have suffered as a result of his management of her illness. And that was written into the record of the High Court. So I think that actually speaks for itself. According to Eileen and Jim's legal firm, the apology, while qualified, was still very significant. In these cases, of course, the apologies aren't the norm in general terms. Eileen had you know, a, a very poor prognosis at the time that the case was settled. And she also, aside from the injury which she had suffered, it you know, had a major effect on the family as well because Jim and Eileen have a daughter who has special needs and Eileen was the, the primary carer for her. So, you know, that was, you know, a major issue as well that had to be factored into the, uh, into the case when it was being brought. It was now July 2015, and while Eileen knew her long-term prospects were poor, she was managing as best she could, and medication helped in relation to pain control. She was just about able to go on a cruise later in the year, conscious of the fact she was on borrowed time. Around the time that Eileen and Jim launched their high court proceedings, they also lodged a complaint against Eileen's oncologist with the Medical Council, the regulatory body tasked with promoting the highest professional standards amongst practising doctors in Ireland and holding those who fall short to account. Eileen was not happy that there was nobody made accountable and that's why she went and made a complaint to the Medical Council. But she was happy enough to uh, let the Medical Council deal with the case Jim and Eileen wished that those responsible for Eileen's care be held accountable by their professional body so that what happened to Eileen would not happen to anyone else. So there's effectively two stages for any complaint that might be made to the Medical Council. Susan Mitchell, health correspondent with the Sunday Business Post, outlines what happens when someone makes a complaint to the Medical Council. When a complaint comes in, it's assigned to a case manager and that case manager liaises with the complainant and the doctor and what's called the Preliminary Proceedings Committee, PPC for short. Just 7% of all complaints lodged with the Medical Council pass the initial PPC stage and move on to a full fitness to practice inquiry. There's a lot of complaints from doctors about the fitness to practice inquiry end of things uh, because they feel that there's huge adverse publicity in the media. So when a doctor is hauled up before the fitness to practice inquiry, even if they're completely acquitted, for want of a better word, or deemed to have acted perfectly ultimately, um, there's huge negative publicity. I've spoken to doctors who have said when they're actually cleared or if they're cleared, they barely get any coverage in the media. So the adverse publicity to doctors from those inquiries can be huge. At this point, in late summer 2015, time was of the essence, as Eileen's condition was in a slow but sure decline. The physical effects of her illness were now only too obvious, as her friend Jackie Houston recalls. And she was sort of losing the weight. The weight was completely falling off her. I remember saying to her, God, Eileen, I'm piling on the weight. And she said to me, oh, don't be worrying about it, Jackie. Look at me. I have to now buy children's clothes because I can't get clothes to fit me. 
Civil cases and medical counsel cases are judged on different criteria. Therefore, before coming to a decision, the medical counsel decided in Eileen's case to commission their own independent medical report. During the process, both sides made their submissions, including Eileen's original oncologist, who put forward his statement and how he handled Eileen's diagnosis and treatment. I entirely stand over my management plan for Mrs. Kenny. Recurrent gist tumours, if not operable, are incurable and ultimately fatal. As a result, I'm extremely cautious and discerning about making such a diagnosis and my management of the disease. It was not clear to me or my colleagues until after Mrs. Kenny's September CT scan that she was suffering from a recurrence. However, I unreservedly apologised to Mrs. Kenny regarding any upset caused to her arising from our communications and interactions. I am disappointed that she is concerned that I did not disclose all matters to her, as this was certainly not my intention. Finally, Eileen's solicitors were contacted by the PPC at the Medical Council. They had made a decision. Eileen's legal firm was taken aback. This is solicitor Neil Kidd. The Medical Council wrote to us in, in January 2016, providing us with a copy of the independent report which they had obtained. And they advised that on, in light of that report, the preliminary proceedings committee was of the view that there was no evidence of professional misconduct or poor professional performance, and that they would be informing the Medical Council that that was their opinion uh, when the Medical Council was due to meet next, which was on the 4th of February 2016. The decision by the Medical Council not to pursue the case was crushing for both Eileen Jim and their daughters, Nicola and Louise. They felt there was no professional accountability for the way in which Eileen's care had been managed. It was now February 2016, and Eileen had just 10 months to live. The decision was that while the standard of care being given to Eileen by the oncologist was below an acceptable standard, However, they regarded that it wasn't serious. Well, Irene was, this was in 2016. Unfortunately, her health was deteriorating at this time. And I think it was absolutely disgraceful, insensitive and insulting to think the way she was treated could be regarded anything but serious. But they regarded it as not serious. And it seemed to be a trivial matter. So there was no case to answer. The Medical Council arrived at their determination by giving, as they said, particular regard to all medical records and the report of their medical expert. But Eileen's legal team had a significant issue with that expert report. As we know, Eileen was not scanned between the end of February 2010 and the end of February 2012 and the original oncologist had already acknowledged this in the High Court case that Eileen took. However, the medical counsel expert seemed to be unaware of this. Solicitor Neil Kidd. And the medical counsel's expert stated in his report that as annual CT follow-up was being practised, that this represented entirely appropriate management that is a factual inaccuracy uh, on the part of their expert, as Eileen wasn't actually receiving annual CT follow-up and, and nobody denied that, everybody accepted that. So we wrote to the Medical Council pointing that out and suggesting that their expert should be made aware uh, of that inaccuracy. 
before any final decisions were made in relation to whether to close off this complaint or whether to pursue it further. However, that letter which we wrote does not appear to have been acted on by the the council and their, their meeting on the 4th of February went ahead as had been initially flagged. In fact, we were specifically informed that our correspondence wouldn't be brought to the attention of the Medical Council um, at that meeting. And accordingly, the Medical Council decided that there was no further action which needed to be taken and the, the complaint was essentially closed off at that stage. For whatever reason, the Medical Council's expert witness had got it wrong. He had understood that Eileen had been scanned routinely in the lead up to 2012 but all sides acknowledge that this in fact did not happen, and indeed, this was admitted in the civil case. The PPC made their recommendation not to allow the case to progress to a fitness to practice hearing. Taking this factually incorrect understanding of their medical expert into account, Jim and Eileen pointed out to the medical council that their expert opinion appeared to be mistaken and asked that such an important fact would be looked at in a fresh revisiting of the decision. The Medical Council subsequently wrote to Jim and his solicitor. They said the PPC had considered Jim's letter, pointing out the mistakes in the expert's report, but they felt it didn't contain any new or additional information which would warrant reconsideration of its opinion formed. It leaves you with, you know, a lack of confidence, you know, given the way this complaint ended. You know, obviously Jim and Eileen wouldn't have been um, been left with a huge amount of confidence in the process um, after that. The decision by the Medical Council not to pursue the case has led to ongoing frustrations for the family and a feeling that they haven't got proper accountability. Jim and Eileen's daughter, Nicola. I honestly don't know how a sick person would take on the medical council because they are a formidable force. And I think only for my dad fighting my mum's corner, we wouldn't have gotten this far. I I don't know how he did it, how um, he wrote these letters back and forth and still no answers. And I can totally see why someone else would just give up. Eileen and Jim struggle to understand why Eileen was never interviewed by the Medical Council during the entire process. They wanted to know why her original oncologist was given nine months to respond to her complaint when she was given a total of nine days to respond to his report. They wanted to know why the report of the Medical Council's expert witness was shown to the oncologist before it was published, but not to Eileen. And why, when inaccuracies were pointed out, they were allowed to remain uncorrected, particularly in relation to the opinion of the Medical Council's expert witness. But he said she was scanned annually and that was appropriate. But that was not the case. Well, there was no point in responding to it because the case was closed. And that's what they said, the case is closed and no further Correspondence will issue in the case. That's the word we're getting back all the time. In March 2016, Eileen's new consultant oncologist asked to meet with Jim. He called me in on my own. Eileen was in hospital. And he said, I have to tell you that Eileen is pretty ill. 
and she has about 12 weeks to, to live at that point. That was a very difficult time. I went in there on my own. And even though Eileen was in hospital, she was still hopeful that she could still beat the cancer. And believe it or not, Eileen lived for nine more months, which was strange. The remainder of 2016 would be extremely difficult for Eileen Jim and their daughters Nicola and Louise. Eileen was now 61 years old. She was in a lot of pain for the last six months. We would have to rush into hospital trying to control the pain. So I think Eileen couldn't do a lot of living. She was just surviving at the end. We looked after Eileen here in the house to the end. And I think that was, um, they were a very precious time for us. Tuesday the 13th of December, 2016. At 11 a.m. in the morning, Eileen passed away. Eileen never gave up. She wanted to know why this happened to her. And she was determined, even to the end. In fact, she wrote a personal letter to the chairperson of the PPC committee for answers. She more or less pleaded with them to give her answers. She emphasised that. I do not want this ever to happen to any other patient. What happened to me? Well, the answer came back. Eileen was dead by that stage. The documentary on one contacted Eileen's treating oncologist. In response, he said, I again express my sincere sympathy to the family for their loss. The Irish Medical Council reviewed this case in February 2016 following settlement of the claim and decided to take no further action. I have only ever wanted to provide the very best care to my patients. Although much is made of the broad mix of people on the Medical Council's committees, for Eileen's Preliminary Proceedings Committee, out of 18 members, 14 were doctors. In response to queries raised to the Medical Council by the documentary on one, specifically in Eileen's case, they replied saying that all relevant material is sent to the medical experts they engage. They also stated that once one of their medical experts makes a report saying that a doctor has done nothing wrong or nothing seriously wrong, they have to find that doctor has no case to answer. The question remains, why did the Medical Council not seek clarification to their medical experts' mistake and instead, knowingly, do nothing? Keep a receipt. God, you're deadly. Very good. Yeah. Right. Today, Jim is Louise's full-time carer. Did you buy anything nice? Uh, uh, well, if you read the paper, you'd read it and... OK, well, we'll have a look at that later. Yeah, we need okay. four eyes and a big nose. Mm. Four eyes OK, and Louise. Yeah. The impact of Eileen's death on Jim, Nicola, Louise and their extended family is immeasurable. Her loss is all the more magnified because of Louise's dependence on her. More than two years later, the family have yet to grieve properly. Well, just as it turns out, Brian, today, two years ago on this date, Eileen passed away. It's still very raw. And I think um, for us that we've never got the answers. It'll always remain like that until I get answers to what happened to Eileen. And I'll never accept that what happened to her was 
a trivial affair. I'll never understand how Eileen came to terms with what happened to her. She put up a brave fight. It was an affair. Maybe Santa might have brought her one. Now what? Oh, a big car. Look, Louise, what? Watch, push it down. Look. <laughs> I don't think I... Yeah, watch it. Let it go. Watch it, Louis. Leave it. Let it go. Watch, watch. Look. Watch it. Look. 